Welcome to Bottomless Rugby, the home of boys, brews and sports balls. This is the main event with Dr. Duke and Jason. We talk about the current hot topic of the week, touch base on interesting news, and pick a boykie of the week. If you are a listener, welcome to the Bottomless Sports Network. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider following Bottomless Rugby on social media and podcast streaming services. Uh, with that said, let's get into it. So we have the problem of the lack of exposure for these schoolboys in 2020. And at the same time, like even though schools have been open, there hasn't been any schoolboy rugby played. Right? So that's kind of big the question. Like we've, we've spoken about like there's some big issues between the schools and the school rugby structures in the country. Um, this could be a really good time that they can spend to find some possible solutions. Um, for the school side of the game, right? Um, like we know, poaching has been an issue. Recruitment strategies have been an issue. Schools get upset with each other and then they cut ties completely, you know, so you miss out on other sporting codes uh, competing against each other just because the school is angry that a rugby player got poached, for example. You know, so I think that this period that we're going through now still is a perfect opportunity for school administrators and the governing bodies to come together, right, and sit down and decide on how we're going to go about recruitment strategies. What can we put in place? Can we change the structures now while nothing's happening to create a better future for schoolboys going forward? Um, Jason, I know you read up quite a bit about this, right? Uh, what's your general thoughts on that? Yeah, I think, like you say, we've known for a while the way schools are run, especially in terms of rugby, has been problematic. And has gotten to the stage where your professional from the from like grade ten on the sixteen level, and that really shouldn't be what it's about. Like it got to the stage actually by like for example what the school I was at, where your preseason for the next year for first team would be starting uh, while you're still playing the current season, like the last few fixtures. What? Hold up! Hold up! Yeah. Did, did that did that happen while you were there? Because when I was there, the only the only coach who tried that was coaching under sixteen, and for some reason he decided it would be a good idea that as soon as the school school rugby season ended, for them to just start doing preseason immediately, which I thought was extremely unnecessary. Yeah, going uh, obviously a long time five years ago, so my memory might be a bit hazy, but it was term three. You had. We were still playing rugby at, at Glenwood. Um, they had the first team squad for the next year, the big squad, uh, already listed. And you'd start going in for, obviously not anything heavy yet, but you'd start going in for the gym sessions and whatever. So it got to the stage where you're essentially doing sports training the entire year. So yeah. it did get to a heavy professional level. And a lot of the big rugby schools can tell you every year, you always have big uh, new guys coming in, so it got got too professional. And like you say, it's it's severed relationships between schools. Like a game, my old school. There's two schools where we no longer really got a relationship with, and one of them was our old boys' uh, rival, which was very sad. Yeah. So this is a prime opportunity for 
and to repair the relationships and put stuff in, in place that this can't happen. You can't be poaching for rugby reasons. Um, yeah. First off, like, don't be shy to drop names. We're obviously talking about DHS here. Well, DHS and um, Hilton. Yeah. yeah. Hilton's gone back to my time. Right? So when I was still at Linwood, I only played against Hilton once in my four years that I was at Linwood. Um, and I played them when I was under 15 and in the next year right we we haven't seen them since in my whole school career while I was there um and then yeah and then we know of last year 2019 right where or was it earlier this year no it was last, last year. year last year when it came out that DHS and Glenwood are cutting ties now over player poaching and I mean we've, we've we have such a long history with DHS and the thing that that makes us even I don't, I don't know if it's more comical or what, but the current headmaster of DHS was our previous deputy headmaster, right? which just, like, you can't, you can't see the stuff coming, but, uh, I'm pretty sure he, like, knowing him as a person and how he actually values, um, you know, these traditional rivalries, I would not imagine that that came from him. And from what we did know, it kind of seemed that, um, I think it was like governing bodies or something. They kind of pushed this. But man, like, I think it's totally unnecessary to completely cut ties with schools. There has to be some sort of a solution out there because at the end of the day, right, the ones that are getting the short stick are all the kids in the other sporting codes, right? You are not getting an opportunity to play, right? And, and even the younger guys or in the, in the lower teams, in, in, within the rugby, right? They all missing out because two schools can't come to an agreement. Exactly. And there's just so much chaos that goes around those big rivalries. And yeah, it is just sad that that's not going to be able to happen at least for a long time. And it is just because of the professional nature that sport has got into and the schools with the bigger money just throwing it around and taking players from other schools. And unfortunately, we're seeing that even before the guys get to the schools in terms of trying to poach players at under 13 Craven Week and even earlier than that uh, to get them into the school. And that is also a problem. How do you feel about that? Before we get to the under 13 Craven Week, right? I just kind of want to want to deal with this recruitment thing first, right? So obviously we know that the schools tend to prioritize the self-interest, right? Ahead of the player that they're even looking to recruit, right? Because, one thing that I do think is important to mention here is the fact that um, for a player, is it sometimes worth them moving from one school to another? Particularly if that schoolboy, for example, is either already attending a school with a decent to good rugby development program or whether that kid would have gotten into a school um, with a good um program like is it then really necessary for schools to go and recruit from another school that has that in place right if we're going to consider um you know at the best interest of the schoolboy for me it's only worth it if at the end of their time at the school they have that professional contract in the province they are playing in or they get a professional contract out of it for me that's the only time it's worth it because otherwise you're relocating him away from his friends. He's going to a different school culture, um, a highly competitive school culture, and he might not enjoy that as much. And, of course, schools approach learning different ways, so he has to adjust to that too. Yeah. So it could affect 
academic. So for me, it's only it's only worth it for the rare few that get out of it and get professional contracts, and a fair amount do. So we have to recognize that. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm not saying all recruitment is bad. Um, I fully agree with you. Like if particularly players that come from a like a less privileged region where the the schools in the area just don't have um, the resources to provide rugby training at that sort of a level. By all means, I think it's then a good move for the schoolboy to you know get an opportunity to go to a better school. Like we can just use CFTBC as a prime example of this, right? Um, that actually, like him getting the opportunity to go to a school with a prominent rugby program was beneficial to him, right? But I don't think we can say the same if someone, for example, is already at Maritzburg College, right? And then you know, someone like Greenwood is like, oh, we actually really like that player and we want to recruit him, you know? Is that really necessary? No, not at all. And that, that is what's brought about these problems. Like, if you look at academically, taking someone from DHS to Glenwood or Glenwood to DHS, there isn't much difference and both schools even though your rivals you want to uh, bring them down they're both very good schools so yeah there is no benefit apart from glenwood being seen as more of a feeder to uh sharks if just for example like we're not putting this all on glenwood there are examples all over the country in every province oh yeah. yeah yeah more specifically the one i think is more atrocious gray college having a link to montpellier oh Oh yeah, we we didn't even put put this down as one of the talking points, but that is something that um, is really scary in my view. I w- I was actually shocked when I heard it the first time. I could not believe. I think, I mean, from Montpellier's side, I take my hat off. That's a brilliant move. Do do I do I personally think we should um, have that in place? No, because I do think it kind of crosses the line of uh, professionalism at school level because um, like the purest in me feels that at school you should still be playing for fun but at the same time we know that there's so much at stake for these boys right in in their in their school right because that is sort of the place where they get seen and get the opportunity to go into um you know professional contract down the line i think that happened because the club structures fell away right so it kind of left the only place where you could go, go do good recruitment at schools, right? So I kind of feel this is a byproduct of the club structures that have fallen away. Yeah, again, the club comes into it. Like, there's no... And because club rugby isn't seen as a big thing for players to go into, to then go to provincial, it's being neglected. And players are deciding, you know, I'd rather get any professional contract I can rather than play for a local club and then try and earn my way further. Yeah, it's a bit of an issue and yeah, I think definitely something that needs to be looked at is if there's these big clubs, especially overseas clubs, that form these ties with schools, etc. Um, I think that should be looked at and there should be stringent regulations um, in place if something like that were to happen. Because let's face it, like Montpellier is not there to like necessarily invest in academics, but even if they do, like the main reason they're there is to go and get players. Right. Um, which begs the question, like, what, what is the school really about, you know? Uh, but let's move on to your 
Craven Week under thirteen you want to want to talk about, right? What 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 do you what do you have to say about uh, Craven Week under thirteen? Well, yeah. First, I want to before I run it down, I want to say there is a benefit to under thirteen Craven Week. You know, if you're at a poorer primary school, this gives you opportunity to go to a higher profile high school if you get like seen and offered a bursary, and even if it's not the primary reason, you still get a better education out of it. So it's not all bad, but there are a lot of dangers that come with, you know, uh, trying to identify talent from this early on and put them in that in the fast track to professional rugby. Like it's been seen by research with sports scientists and coaches alike. I'm just going to run through some of all the main things and then get your opinion on it. So in a very good article we found, the big things identified is injury uh, due to early overtraining. Your body isn't ready for big, rigorous training at that age. Uh, you, in terms of your psychosocial development, you develop an athletic identity. You define yourself by your sports. And realistically, you can only play sports at a high level into your early 30s. So even the guys who make through, having that as your identity is dangerous. And of course, following on from that, you know, you're sacrificing education for the sport. And again, for the people from poorer families, your parents are putting a lot of pressure on you due to the financial benefits they're getting from, you know, the the slide passes of money from top schools to get them to play for you and you know, play, uh, parents becoming their children's agents, getting cutbacks like that. You know, there are a lot of things that can be really problematic. What do you feel about the things I mentioned there? Yeah, I think I think all of those are real issues. Right. Um. Specifically, like injury due to overtraining. Um. So, so me being a big guy, I was I was very big. Um. At a young age. Uh. So obviously they like to have me there all the time, and even at a young age, I was, I had an injury, and coaches wanted me to play injured. Right. So this stuff happens at primary school level, which it shouldn't. Right. So definitely there is severe injuries. I I had to at the end of the day go get an operation. Right, so definitely not good. I played a tournament with an injury. Right, shouldn't happen, but it happens. Um, I definitely agree. Uh, developing that athletic identity can be detrimental sometimes, and I think at under thirteen age group level, the stakes shouldn't be as high as they are now. Right, um, particularly if um, like yeah, there's opportunity for bursaries and so forth. Um, and that's part like why I think maybe we shouldn't have bursaries given to 13-year-olds, you know, um, that are going to be going into um, high school. Like, maybe high school bursaries should only be from under 16 upwards, you know. Uh, that, that could be one way to go about it, because I think that under 13, like, let's be real, like, just let the kids play, have fun. Um, and it's really unfair towards the kids if the parents start to see some financial benefit out of this and they put undue pressure on the kids. And I've spoken to um, friends that I was at school with, you know, um, who had told me, you know, during the high school career that they were on a bursary, like how much pressure that put them under just from the fact that, wow, like if I don't perform, like I might lose my bursary and I might not be able to continue to, to get a school education at the school, right? which is considering you know like these are kids it's it's extreme you know exactly and it's again these kids are doing well at under 13 level but there's no guarantee they're going to um, do the same when they get to under 18 and i mean 
like you say, with the development of athletic identity and so much pressure being put on to to succeed so highly, that, that that's going to really unfairly benefit you. Like we come doing research for this, we came across a thesis done by a guy called Justin Durant. I'll get the name for you now. It is a description of the profiles under 18 rugby players who attended the Craven Week tournament between 2002 to 2012. In his research, he found that um, 76% of the players who played in the 2005 under 13 Craven Week did not play in the under 18 Craven Week. So you imagine you make that Craven Week, you have so much pressure put on you, you develop that identity, and then 76% of them just don't make under 18. Like, that is ridiculous. And I mean, you and I both know under 18 Craven Week to professional player, that transition is also not that great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, would you have expected that number? I honestly didn't. Yeah, I think 76% is high. I was thinking 50% is more realistic. Yeah. Um, you know, three quarters of players not going through says a lot. Right, that is a strong case for for there to not be uh, under thirteen craving week. You could rather have like a you know sports festival and make it a big fun occasion, family occasion. You know, I'm all for. I feel that we need to do as much as we can to bring clubs and schools together. You know, um, and and also like unions need to get involved with that, one hundred percent. Um. Yeah. I also I also want to say, right, so a lot of players don't from under thirteen don't go and make it, right? Um the only thing I would say that there's some benefit to the under thirteen Craven Week was for, you know, kids who could potentially get a bursary going forward, you know. Um that's about the only one. Um and the other danger with the under thirteen Craven Week is I think that is that could be a big part in some kids developing that athletic identity and I'll kind of take myself as an example so because I had my injury in primary school I missed out on under 13 Craven Week um, I had to go for an op right as the season was about to start and I missed out at under 13 but later in the year I went to go and play provincial club and um, I played the guy that actually played Craven Week right so in my mind I was I think I'm fine to think, all right, at under 13, I might have played Craven Week and that might have given me some opportunity. You know, for all I know, I could have been offered, uh, you know, a bursary by Glenwood then. Turns turns out down the line, I got another opportunity to, to get to Glenwood, which I'm very thankful for. But uh, that could be, you know, something that now forces a child to develop an athletic identity. Right. Maybe if, if they weren't even thinking about it at the time, but they were just, you know, good and they were big, right? Which we know in SA rugby <laughs> it makes a big difference. Oh yeah. Right. That might put a child in a position to go and develop an athletic identity to the neglect of other aspects of their personality. Yeah, exactly. That can be a big problem. And you know, you see it everywhere. The players are like still in their 30s, 40s, and they're like, you know, I could have made it big if it wasn't for that one injury, and it still sticks with them for that long. It's it's a, it's a cycle that should be broken. And like going on with that, the fact that you know, there's so many players aren't successful going on from a 13 Craven week, the players that do go in are also just put on an exclusionary pathway. So they're put on the fast track, they're given more attention, and other players are neglected, the late bloomers. 
and that is really poor. And like you look, look at these uh, current group of professional players, a lot of them were late bloomers and on the younger end in terms of the year. So like it's been shown this under 13 pathway isn't that effective. And again, going back to this thesis, Justin Durant also showed that it has some uh, racial exclusion as well. Because I mean, oh, I'm not surprised, eh? Yeah, because we know, uh, obviously, you still get the exceptions, but in general, like a lot of the white players of these age groups, they are naturally bigger than their black and colored peers. And obviously, at school rugby, when school and that isn't that high yet, they're going to get the fast track. And that's, that isn't right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's not necessarily a, a color thing in itself. It's not, no, no. It, it's not that white kids are just generally bigger, but it's more of a socioeconomic aspect to this because if you are fortunate enough to get, you know, food at a young age and you can get good quality food, you're just going to develop differently, right? So it is going to, at under 13, that is going to be pronounced effect. Late bloomers are going to come in later from under 16 going forward. And we see it at under 16 level, it's like everyone catches up. Then it's an even playing field going to opens, right? So I'm, I'm definitely with you. Um, you know, there, there are these aspects to it as well. And, uh, you know, with all those points in mind, I personally don't see the need for us to necessarily have an under 13 Craven week. I think schools should, um, you know, think of different recruitment strategies, right? Cause what these schools do is they send scouts to this Craven week and they poach them from everywhere. Right, like I, I just know friends that I went to Glenwood with, like they were from all over the country essentially. You know, um, they were not like local guys within Durban. You know, yeah. So I, th- I think there is a need for schools to, you know, rather look more at the community around them. You know, put good structures in place, help the community around them, as opposed to write our strategies just to go and poach these guys, get get top talent in from doesn't matter where as long as they're good and we can win rugby matches that's good for us but um i I don't think that is a sustainable way to keep going forward no no or we do need change and again while this pandemic is going to be negative for so many reasons for these young guys if the schools do decide to take this opportunity and reform these things and reform how we approach rugby at those younger levels I think it could be so beneficial for all the generations to come. And we no longer have cases of players succeeding in high school, not making it professionally and being lost what to do with life. Yeah, for sure. I think this is a perfect opportunity for schools to go and, you know, work out recruitment strategies, talk to each other, right, and agree on a way forward for how to go about recruitment. Um, I think they should really review right um, the awarding of bursaries, uh, when and under what conditions bursaries may be awarded, um, because at the same like particularly if it's going to be like for a rugby bursary, right? So obviously you have huge schools with like massive funding, um, and you know they can essentially take over, uh, you know, almost like monopolize the recruitment uh, market. I think you know if you can offer fifty bursaries, you know. It's going to put you in a lot better position than some schools that can only offer like one or two. You know, so I don't know if that's maybe something that should be considered. Like how many, like rugby bursaries can you give, for example? You know, um, whether that's something realistically that they can regulate, I don't know. Um, 
perhaps there needs to be, you know, a, a better oversight from the top down from Saru putting structures in place to ensure that, right, let's try and level the playing field at schoolboy level, right? Because if you don't do that, you're only going to end up with about 20 schools that are going to be so elite that, you know, unless you go to that school, forget about your chances of getting noticed. Or what we need to do is we just need to, yeah, get a top 20 schools league. They play against amongst themselves. Uh, forget about traditional rivalries. The main goal is now we focus on 20 big rugby schools to, to sort of drive our, our development going forward. And then those guys amongst themselves can hand out as many bursaries to whomever they want, you know, because they can all essentially afford to put a lot, a lot of money into the rugby. What do you think of that? Uh, again, I'm actually not sure how to comment on that because, like, from my perspective, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, being at a low down school and like you play against these big schools, obviously you're going to lose a lot of the time. But the time you went, you're able to get a win. I think that's such a big thing for them. But obviously, I wasn't in that position, so I'm not sure if it actually <laughs> if that does make much of a difference. Like, it is interesting the idea of just having a top twenty schools league. But then I think we're only just going to make the professionalism in school rugby worse. And these guys are going to be pushed through academically by whichever way, how, and they're going to spend most of their days playing rugby. Yeah, I get you, right? Um, I, I just feel that like like schools almost need to make a decision, right? Are, are we are we going to like keep rugby for the fun of it? Or if we are going to decide, all right, we're going all in on rugby and we're actually going to provide sort of rugby education you know because they might frame it in that sense where right we're going to give a player a lot of expert training um for the rugby field at the same time you know try to do everything we can to ensure the academics are up to standard then yeah like i can i wouldn't necessarily have a problem with that if everyone involved is okay with this particularly the player being like yeah like i really really just want to go play rugby going forward then I can understand, um, you know, a system like that to work. Because if we just take America, they have like sports schools, you know, and I think the day where we're going to have just a dedicated sports school in South Africa will come. And down the line, they might just have the best rugby team in the country. Because um, essentially, if you look at it historically, like the reason Great Bloom was so successful at being so dominant is because they, they had the ability to naturally attract, um, Good, good youngsters, right? There was a reputation at the school, and people wanted to send their child to go and play rugby there because they knew, right? If he actually goes to play there at a top team, it's going to get seen, and there's all these resources available, you know. So it's it's a trade off, you know. It's just going to be a trade off for which way they decide to go forward. Yeah, like I can see that working where you have dedicated rugby schools and they're, they're taught the bare minimum academically to get them successful but yeah you know, i don't know just for me it's it seems weird like it would work but with my way i look at school nah, i wouldn't i wouldn't want that to be a thing because these guys need to have something else apart from rugby yeah for sure for sure um but yeah we will leave it at that um there's a lot for them to figure out i really hope you know, school administrators are actually, you know, sitting down, speaking to one another, uh, trying to come up with some of the s solutions for some of the problems we have in school rugby. 
Um, I would like to personally see a little bit more of an even playing field, or if not, you remove the top 20 schools, they play their own thing, which would make it um, sort of level things out for all the other schools. We're going to take a look at some of the interesting articles of this week. All right, so the first article we have that uh, got my interest, um, a local one, right? So SA Rugby is not keen to bid to host the Rugby World Cup anytime soon. Um, so they're unlikely to bid for the hosting rights of the 2027 or the 2031 World Cup tournaments. Right, uh, what was your thoughts on this, Jason? You know, it's perfectly understandable. Financially, we've been hit by the pandemic and also we're not too sure how, what the future is going to hold for us. So, you know, until we can financially recover, uh, I do think we should neglect uh, trying to, you know, uh, go for these things that are going to cost millions and millions and millions of rands. I mean, just thank goodness we didn't actually get the 2023 one because I think we'd now be in a position where we'd need to relinquish it. And man, would that hurt. Yeah, that really would have hurt. Um, I I will just tell you know all South African fans now: don't get your hopes up for World Cup in this decade. I don't think it will happen. Um, also don't think we should really like. I'm I'm also kind of like just fed up with that whole IOP process that went down and how we got snubbed. Yeah. But in retrospect, it probably is a silver lining we did not get it because I think you know the economic impacts of COVID would have put us in a difficult position although it's still a couple of years off but yeah it, it really this is going to take years for the country to recover from so yeah probably best not okay um then we also got news there from new zealand that they've announced their north versus south squads um all right so who do you think has the better squad north or south uh, currently, I am leaning towards the North. You know, I do feel they have the better forward pack, and we know forwards are the most important parts. But again, they got Piranara and Smith at scrum half. They got Barrett. They got Rico. They've got. They've. I think they've got the best team overall. But it will be close. There are. There's some good talent in the South. Who are you backing in this? Man, I th- I think the North looks better. I think they look better, right? Um. No, they, they they got good players. Like I'm even looking at the loose fours. You got Ardi Savia, you got Satutu, you got uh Dalton Papali'i, you got Boshia, you got Iohani. I mean, you got the two best nines already there. They've already they've only chose chosen one flower. They got Bowden there, right? So that's probably better position for him now at the moment. Um you know, considering they got Damian McKenzie to play at fifteen. Uh they got Reese, they got Talia, they got Clark. Man, I, th- I think the North was good. Um, I know there's some people who would think, right, you know, the South have, they have all of those guys that are playing at the Crusaders. But man, I think the North just looks a bit better. And we have seen the Crusaders have shown they're, they're not as impervious as they used to be. So, like I'm saying, because they have the Crusaders, they're going to get through. I don't, yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's different. They're not going to be putting a Crusaders jersey on, so it's it's very different. Yeah. All right. Um, and then a last one, one that is uh, close to your my heart. Um, this was our first collaboration we actually worked on. Um, a while back we had those guys from, what's it, Green and Gold Rugby, you know, write a 
Atletic Tucson's are, you know, claiming that there is bias by SA referees. We did our own little um, analysis, um, simply looking at trends. We didn't set it up in any way to necessarily test it. We just wanted to see, um, like, what are some of the referee trends between the countries and in which match situations. So we just kind of took a general overview look. And we, we did see some trends that makes you think, wow, okay, so some some referees have a tendency toward more penalties to home sides, for example. But we didn't have it in such a way as to like necessarily uh, definitively say, right, um, there is bias or there isn't bias. Right? So this week we had a guy, how was it? Uh, Nicholas Kane. Nicholas Kane, right, who did analysis. He now controlled for the variables. Um, so he grouped it in such a way where you will look at um, matches played in South Africa and how all referees from different nationalities would treat the home side in South Africa, right? Because that's what you need to do if you need to see whether the SA referees are biased. And in fact, when you ran the numbers, if we can scroll to that. Right, so when you ran the numbers, you actually found that the Australian referees, right, actually favor the South African teams more in South Africa when South African teams are playing foreign opposition, right? So I just want to say, right, let's go look at uh, referee bias by Australian referees and not the SA ones. Uh, that's that's all I'm going to say there. Yeah, you just know Australian rugby is bad when they, even their refs prefer us more. Man, like, yeah, so those Australian guys, guys, really... Um, Go look at yourself first. Uh, maybe go speak to your referees why they give South African teams in South Africa extra penalties. You know that that might be a thing. So with this in mind, I feel that yeah, Suns are you know if this competition would continue in some way, it should stick to their current policy. There's no need to change the policy to have only neutral refs. The only thing I would say is like uh, image wise, it's good to have neutral refs. That's what I want to say. Yeah, I fully agree there. And also just want to say, what a name, Nicholas Kane. Alrighty, um, so we're going to end it off there for today's episode. Um, you can leave us a comment or voice message on Anchor. Tell us uh, what's your opinion on these matters. Uh, we also want to send a big shout out to all our favorite boykies. And then for all the listeners, thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the main event. And please consider following Bottomless Rugby on social media and podcast streaming services to stay up to date with the latest content. So until next week, stay away from your boys, wash your hands often, drink lots of water, and stay safe. Cheers. <laughs>